0: You're listening to That'll Preach. This is a weekly segment on the Forks Midtown Podcast. Glad you are here. We got a special guest. We're actually going to be doing an interview, Paul. Are you ready for this?
1: It's our first of many, hopefully.
0: It's not just us. I know. You know, I think people get tired of hearing us.
1: Well, we can't say that now that we have Meredith. We did have Meredith
0: on the last podcast. We've had a couple
1: of special guests. I mean... This is the most special of the guests so far.
0: That's true. That's true. And really, you know... I mean, I feel like we're, we're like, maybe we need to give people a break from our witty banter and just bring somebody else in to do things. You know what I mean? Who's even wittier and banterer. We're getting crazy. We're, you guys don't understand. <laughs> this. We're recording this at 9 p.m. at night, which is when we record all our podcasts. Yeah, it's and not we're late just, at all.
1: <laughs> we're,
0: past 8 p.m., we're just crazy people. We just say whatever we want. <laughs> so this might get censored. I have no idea. But uh, this is going to be a great conversation. We have one of Paul's buddies, one of his philosopher buddies, right? You could call him that. He
1: is a philosopher and he's a buddy.
0: We have Guillaume. (laughs) Guillaume, Guillaume, welcome to the podcast. Thank you for joining us. Thanks for having me. What is it like as philosophers, you know, walking through life knowing that you're right about everything and everyone else (laughs) is wrong?
2: What is that like? (laughs) Well, I I think... Philosophers are really interested in answering questions about what things are like, Um, but on this one, I don't know. Being a philosopher is mostly means that you're introduced terribly to every podcast. I mean, I can already spot a number of mistakes here. Uh, You describe me as a friend of Paul, as if Paul had any friends. Uh, I'm a special guest. I mean, I don't know if I'm a guest, but I'm certainly not special. And uh, after 8 p.m., everybody is a crazy people. So that's what you got on your show. That's it. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you for that
0: interview. That's great. Make sure you subscribe to this podcast and leave a good. (laughs)
2: True (laughs) Philosophy. That was all
0: we needed. That was all we needed.
2: Man, philosophers are. If there's anything else you want me to correct you on, uh, (laughs) I'll be here all night. (laughs) Paul, are are philosophers always this savage
0: to
1: each other? I mean, it is. I guess you guys argue all the time. We're professional jerks. It
0: is a
2: love language, though. It is,
0: yeah. I do want to know, before we actually get into the meat of this interview, this is, uh, you know, Paul doesn't know I'm going to ask this, but I just want to know, what is the one thing that Paul is completely wrong about?
1: Oh
2: my, it's very, you, I mean, One. you can only
1: answer that if I was wrong about something, which I'm not. So
0: there should be nothing. <laughs> no, 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 of no, no. What, what, What's he actually wrong? <laughs> this is like the philosopher equivalent of like, what was Paul like in high school?
2: You know what I mean? What is Paul dead wrong about? I don't know if he's still wrong about this, but he certainly was wrong about whether it was a good idea to invite me on his podcast. Now, if you ask him, he might have changed his mind by now, but (laughs) uh, he he was mistaken before that. What's your rebuttal to this?
1: I love that. That was like almost a backhanded compliment. (laughs) There
0: you go. That's the only kind that philosophers give.
1: Yeah, just roundabout, super difficult to parse, can't figure out exactly what's been going on or being said. I just assume Paul's insulting me when he
0: uses big words to me. I just go. I'm offended by that, Paul. Stop. You know what I'm saying. Anyway, we are grateful for you to be on this uh, segment. One of the things that uh, Paul was talking about that I think makes your story really interesting is how you came to faith, how you became a Christian, and uh, you know, it, it's it's a very fascinating story. You know, just you starting. I think you started as an atheist, and then became a Christian later on in life. I mean, not that you're super old, but that's it was usually how conversions work. <laughs> well, yeah. Okay. I guess that's true, but uh, yeah, you got a very interesting story and now you're doing a lot of studying in that field of philosophy and all kinds of things like that. So do you want to just give us first, why don't you just introduce yourself and talk about what you're studying now? And then you can backtrack and go, this is kind of where I came from before I was a Christian.
2: Um, Yeah, so today, by uh, trade during the day, I'm actually a director for a corporate and investment bank on Wall Street, and I'm the director of IT and operations. Uh, So I work during the day at a honorable profession that actually allows me to uh, finance the wild enterprise that is having so many babies at home because um, <laughs> uh, we have uh, four young kids and number five is on the way uh, due any day now. So, um, or any, any day now. <laughs> Man. So, so philosophy doesn't uh, always allow you to uh, provide for this large of a family in the New York area. That's true. Um, but during the day I, I, I do that and uh, in my uh, extensive spare time uh, having only four uh, soon five children I have plenty of time uh, to occupy my wits to other topics. Uh, that's when I uh, do my research and uh, writing and philosophy. Um, so there's a couple of topics that uh, I've been interested in and that I've done uh, research and writing on. Um, I did uh, a bit of study of uh, free will and providence and uh, surrounding issues. There's a family of questions around those uh, big topics of philosophy. Um, and then uh, more recently, I've been interested in the question of justification, uh, salvation, uh, and uh, more particularly in the uh, dialogues between Protestants and Catholics. What are some of the Catholic claims about salvation? What are the Protestant views? And some of the arguments and, and big questions around that. So that, that's what I'm currently studying and planning to write on. So how old are your kids? Uh, let's see. If I get this wrong, I'm going to be uh, fired. think uh, <laughs> We have seven, six, five, one and a half, and then uh, soon to be born. And what are their views on free will? <laughs> uh, I, I can tell you that they do believe and evidence original sin, uh, but, uh, <laughs> 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 but I'm not sure they have fully fleshed out views of uh, God's providence. Um, Why don't you start at the
0: beginning? Talk about your upbringing, um, just wh- and, and and then from your upbringing, what were sort of the 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 turning points of this, the, the, the things that got you interested in thinking about Christianity? Um, yes,
2: yeah, so my upbringing uh, that, uh, that happened in France, as my accent might betray. Uh, I was born in the greater area of Paris. Um, in the suburbs uh, close to Versailles uh, that's where most Americans are going to be able to locate some something they know about. So, you uh, mean Versailles? Yes, that's also a very
1: optimistic <laughs> assessment yes. of most Americans. But. Very good.
2: So, so, so around there um, I uh, grew up uh, nominally Catholic so that uh, there is a little bit of Catholicism in my background very uh, early on um, but my family was more uh, nominally. So, so we, we did go to mass, uh, but not every Sunday. And uh, it, it somewhat became clear the, throughout the years that we did this more out of tradition and maybe a little bit of superstition rather than really a, a deep life conviction. Um, and so when I was old enough to tell my, uh, parents that I didn't really believe any of this stuff, then I just stopped going to mass and my life didn't change all that much when I uh, became officially an atheist uh, and uh, simply said, well, look, I don't believe this stuff. I'm going to stop going and life is going to continue the same. So that's, uh, how I ended up being an atheist for much of my, uh, young adult, uh, life. Um, and. You know, things seemed to be going quite well. Uh, there was not a radical uh, deconversion or some some sort some of a dramatic uh, event there. Uh, the, the the radical turns came more towards my conversion afterwards.
0: What did your parents, how did they react when you kind of turned away from your Catholic upbringing?
2: Well, it, it really wasn't much of a, an event, first of all, because my uh, brother, I have an older brother who was two years older than me. And he somewhat went through this before I did. Uh, so uh, it's kind of a, okay, well, this is what we're doing now. Um, and I guess the fact that my parents were not more disappointed than they were is another piece of evidence in favor of the claim that they didn't really strongly believe this stuff. It's just like, hey, this is, sure. this is what we do. And you don't feel like doing it. Well, that's okay. That's, that's not a huge deal. Um, so that that goes in the same direction, I think. That's a fascinating kind of,
0: it's it's fascinating how ordinary that is. Mm, I think a lot of times we can be dramatic, like the, you know, the kid, he grows up going to church and then he like gets a mohawk and a tattoo and he's like, oh, I'm done, mom. And they're just like, no, son of mine is, you know, something
1: like that. That never Uh, happens. (laughs) I know. I'm
0: like, that's most people, you know, when we do college ministry, most people, you meet college students who aren't Christians, they're. They have a deep respect for their parents' faith or they're just like yeah, I don't have a problem with Christianity. I just it doesn't really work for me and I don't really feel like I need it. It's it's not violently angry or, you know, something like that. Most of it is just people just sort of in their mind grow out of it.
2: Hmm. Yeah, no. So so I did develop some degree of animosity towards okay. religious belief. Um not so much anger, I would say, as more uh, of a a bit of a prideful uh, sneering down like oh look at these superstitious people who think that they that that this is how life is um and uh i mean i, I did end up uh studying uh, uh science engineering physics math um in somewhat prestigious settings and came with a bit of pride as to my intellectual capacities and um it seemed uh, like the very french natural thing to do to look down on religion uh and the culture at large didn't really discourage this kind of thinking uh like you yeah you can have your religion you know this is like your your hobby like like knitting if you will but uh, <laughs> uh it, you know if you start to say that it's true then uh, you're making wild claim that can't possibly be justified and uh, and don't mm-hmm. drag me into your nonsense that that's was kind of the the mindset at the time for me um so I wouldn't say I was neutral to to religion I think I was openly hostile but it wasn't a big part of my life I like I wasn't right. sitting here all day googling up uh, how to troll uh, Christians on their <laughs> beliefs uh it was more of a hey let's let's forget about all this stuff and now after you would sort of like you said you you
0: officially became an atheist uh what was that time period like
2: uh well i basically continued to uh, i mean this was my young adulthood uh, i was very occupied with a number of things that uh, i was um, pursuing happiness in um, so i told you I, I went to school i went to an engineering school uh, got a degree and starting to work as a computer scientist um, i was uh, playing sports quite a bit so uh, i Ended up playing volleyball uh, in competitively. Uh, I ended up growing up uh, and uh, being quite tall and uh, jumping high, so I was uh, scouted and um, recruited to play volleyball. And uh, first uh, at the uh, regional levels, and then uh, I ended up playing in national league. Um, so I, wow. uh, yeah, I was trying. I was traveling every weekend for the volleyball games uh, all throughout the, the country. Uh, sometimes in the south of France. Um, so you were so like that, that, the
1: French equivalent of Michael Jordan, <laughs> but in a completely different sport.
2: <laughs> I don't think so. No, <laughs> I, I wasn't at the professional level. I was, uh, I think, you know, national level, uh, which is quite good, and I was very happy with it, but I don't want to make it sound like I was an uh, elite sportsman. Uh, it was still like just very good competitive sports. Um, and uh, so that's the sport, uh, the schooling, um, I was also playing uh, music, so I, I grew up um, practicing the piano and then I ended up playing the keyboard and started playing with a band. Uh, and uh, one of my uh, goals there was to uh, start uh, recording our music and uh, uh, playing in concerts. Um, and all of that also happened, so I was very pleased with all of that Um uh, Mild success, but that came across as a very strong uh, life achievement for me. Uh, So I was uh, playing the the concerts. I was uh, uh, traveling the country uh, on the weekends to play the games. Uh, And uh, one of the other life goals that I had uh, as a French atheist, my age at the time, was basically to uh, have women conquest. And uh, at that time, I started to also be successful. So I had enough success to satisfy the raunchy standards of the volleyball locker room. Um, And um, all in all, these were the various avenues that I was looking for happiness in. And was finding some good excitement and I would consider myself pretty satisfied. There was still one uh, moment where I came to... um, to a place where i felt like i have accomplished all of my personal goals right? i was really satisfied with uh, the the band and uh, getting this experience of being a rock star in my head and uh volleyball uh, i felt i had really achieved a very good level and i enjoyed playing um i had my job so all of those things i felt like okay i've pursued those things and achieved them uh, it's successful uh but then what um, and now what kind of was the question that, that uh, I posed myself thinking now that I've accomplished all of my uh, childhood dreams, uh, is it, is there something more like, what am I, what is this about? There's clearly a strong connection between God's existence and whether or not there's an actual goal to our lives, right? So if there's an actual purpose, an actual intent, uh, some a design plan according to which we are made for a certain goal. Um, But I wasn't really asking those sorts of questions in those terms. And I just didn't want to think too much if that could could have uh, led me to uh, having to face religion again. I was not prepared to go down that route at all. So that was kind of the the one anecdote about being satisfied. uh, Yes, to an extent. But I did start to wonder, what is this about? And is there more to life? And that that was just the the isolated uh, uh, moment of clarity uh, about my lifestyle.
0: Now what was it like when that started to actually become a subject of interest again?
2: When I was 25, uh, I went on vacation uh to the island of St. Martin in the Caribbean. Um I went there with my brother, uh and uh we went there to basically just have a, a good time, uh, enjoy the beach uh, in the Caribbean, it's wonderful, uh play a bit a bit of beach volleyball, um just have a, an overall good time. Um and uh, I uh went there and on a day where we went to a bit of a distant beach, uh, we—I uh, forgot the details for why we couldn't—we ha- didn't have a car to come back. But basically, we were considering coming back uh, home uh, by just by foot, which would have taken a long time. And so my brother just decided out of the blue that we would be hitchhiking our way back. Uh, something that I had never done in the first 25 years of my life—I'd never hitchhiked <laughs> uh, for any any reason. Uh, but uh, lo and behold, for some reason, we decided to hitchhike. So we started hitchhiking and uh, after a couple of minutes uh, with our thumbs up uh, to to indicate that we were looking for a ride, there's a small uh, purple car that uh, stopped uh, and uh, in it uh, were two American tourists. They were um, very attractive. Uh, One of them was a former model. Uh, So at the time my brother and I just basically, the radar went up immediately. I look at these American uh, women. uh, We need to connect uh, with them. Uh, and they asked us for direction and uh, providentially, the hotel that they were driving to, which was nowhere near the the, the beach or the airport, um, the hotel they were driving to happened to be exactly next door to the house we were staying at. Mm-hmm. So we hopped in. And uh, we started flirting uh, very quickly. And uh, I guess the French accents uh, worked out uh, very fast because uh, we were able to get that's the That's all armor. we're missing,
1: Paul. That's yes, that, missing. that is the little that's weapon. The, yeah.
2: that's <laughs> yeah, it's, it's neither sufficient nor necessary, but it's highly <laughs> helpful. <laughs> Uh,
0: that's philosopher
2: game, man. But, that's but, philosopher game. That's <laughs> correct. You can have something very helpful even if it's neither necessary nor sufficient. So uh, I ended up going out with uh, one of them, the one that was from New York. The other one was from Miami. Uh, and uh, the problem is uh, she very quickly told me that she was a, a Christian, which uh, was really an intellectual suicide for me. I mean, who believes hmm. that God exists today? Just just uh, intellectual suicide. And uh, even worse than this, she also told me that uh, she believed that sex only belonged in marriage. So those were two very strong strikes against us uh, being (laughs) together. Uh, But she she was uh, special enough uh, and she was a former model and actress that uh, it seemed to me uh, it was a very rare opportunity. So I persisted. And uh, somehow we actually decided to uh, make this work and and, uh, and the goal at that point became uh, how can I convince her that all of this is silliness, so that she can leave it behind and we can be together without religion standing in the way. So that's how the topic of religion came back to me as a challenge that needed to be removed between us to be happy. And so um, the first step for me, if I was going to refute Christianity for, to her, was to figure out what does even what does Christianity even teach. And wow. so that's one of the first things I did is I picked up a Bible. You know, I dusted off my old Bible and I figured, <laughs> okay, let's, let me read about this Jesus guy that these Christians are actually worshipping. Um, and uh, just figured, let me see what it's saying so that I can intelligently assess that. Um, And at the same time as I did this, uh, I figured I'm also, I'm a scientist, I make experiments, so there's one experiment I can uh, devise, and it was going to be based on the premise that if God is there, if there is a God, if any of this is possibly true, um, if there's a God, then presumably he would be quite interested in what I'm currently doing right now, um, my picking up a Bible and uh, investigating those things. And so uh, I figured, you know, this is something I can attempt as, a, as an open-minded uh, scientist. Uh, I'm going to just uh, do an experiment. I started praying as an unbeliever. Uh, I started praying, OK, well, God, uh, if you're there, if there's one uh, at the end uh, of that line, um, why don't you go ahead and reveal yourself to me? Uh, I'm open. Uh, now, uh, I don't think I really was open, but uh, I figured that wouldn't stop God if he really existed. So uh, I did that. And, and I picked up the, the New Testament and I started to read uh, about Jesus. And uh, this is one of the first surprising pieces, which is that the reading of the uh, New Testament, reading of the, the Gospels, where I could actually read the words and the behaviors of Jesus, uh, tasted very differently than I had uh, remembered or at least expected um hmm. from my upbringing uh, it seemed like everything was boring at the time and uh, none of it really stuck uh and for the first time reading about this jesus guy he seemed really a captivating figure and uh he just uh, just r- captured my imagination it was this guy who clearly was very smart we navigated in conversation uh, really masterfully um that people came to him to try to trick him with trick questions and he would just have the perfect comebacks and would have a deep uh, and a deep sense of uh, truth, and yet he would also be graceful and but incisive with the religious uh, leaders and hypocrites. So it's just a very entertaining and captivating figure, and that was the first uh, kind of uh, surprising moment in my looking at religion again. That wow, well, this Jesus guy is really a bit different than I had expected. And this is where another uh, somewhat striking uh, incident happened, which is that a couple of uh, weeks after I prayed that unbelieving prayer, um, <laughs> out of the blue, my shoulder, the, from the right arm, which is my strong arm where I, I that I used to spike, um, my right shoulder started to fail me. Uh, there was no clear explanation. Uh, it just started to burn, burn out, uh, mm-hmm. 10 minutes into every volleyball practice. So it just, became very hot I couldn't um, I I couldn't uh, spike and uh, I was out after 10 minutes at every practice which was extremely frustrating Um, the physical therapist's best effort didn't really help the doctor couldn't see any good reason for that and they were basically telling me look uh, you just need to rest your shoulder so you need to stop volleyball for a few weeks and we'll see where that leads you so then all of a sudden against my will I was off of volleyball courts for a few weeks And uh, that freed up the possibility, since I had been studying about these Christian things, uh, that I could actually visit a church and see what they do when they get together. And so uh, that's uh, on the first Sunday without a volleyball game, uh, I ended up uh, traveling to uh, an an evangelical church in Paris. And I figured, you know, if I've been studying those things now on my own, uh, let me go there. And I really, the way I describe it is that I went there like I would go to the zoo to see some weird, exotic animals that <laughs> I had been uh, seeing in books but never saw in real life. And uh, so I went on that uh, church uh, morning like I, like really, I went on a zoo trip to see some uh, some weird people. Uh, so plenty I, of I those, up. yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, you'll find them. So so I I went in uh, and uh, I was immediately I, I felt oppressed by a, a sense of awkwardness. Uh, uh-huh. Mostly, I was envisioning that any of my friends or family would see me there in a church, then that I would die of shame. That's hmm. that's really how really? oppressive that's the the idea of being in a church was. Um, and so it, it seemed very weird. Uh, and people in there were a bit different than I had been um, accustomed to growing up. Um, they were very um, happy, smiling, talking. Uh, they were actually standing up and praying in small groups uh, in the church, uh, kind of in a free form. And uh, I was very, it was very awkward. Somebody came and introduced themselves very friendly. Hey, do you want to come and pray with us? I was like, oh, my goodness, where, what, am I, what did I get myself into? <laughs> so I just stood there silently with my head bowed while they were praying. And, uh, also they were praying, like they were really talking to God and they thought that somebody was listening to what they are saying, which was very different than the kind of praying that I had been, uh, um, seeing in my, uh, early religious upbringing. So the whole thing was really strange, really awkward for me. And I, I thought if anyone recognizes me or sees me there, I'll, I'll be ashamed. Um, and, uh, I, I sat down and, uh, still, uh, listened to the, the message, uh, I really enjoyed the music too, uh, because there was a modern band and uh, it seemed like very different. Uh, But again, I couldn't quite sing the uh, religious words. uh, It (laughs) was one step too much for me. (laughs) Uh, But I I enjoyed the music. I listened to the sermon and I don't remember a word that the uh, preacher said. Uh, I don't know. I don't know what topic it was on i just don't remember what he said i remember okay this is interesting uh but then i uh, the sermon ended the service was going to wrap up and i thought okay i've seen enough Uh, i've you know my uh, zoo visit is successful i've uh, gathered some information uh now let me escape so that i don't have to introduce myself to any of these weirdos and so I jumped on my feet uh, and I uh, walked uh, down the aisle uh, towards the back door to just exit the church. Mm Uh, trying not to make eye contact with anyone so that I wouldn't be stopped in my tracks. You know, this and, is uh, funny.
0: This is not just the experience of non-Christians, but like, mm-hmm. I think Christians do this. <laughs> 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 you're, you're like describing, you're like, oh yeah, we all do that. What are you talking about? <laughs> yeah, obviously. So Feel maybe, awkward, I, don't want to talk to people, just get out of the-
2: <laughs> So maybe I blended in in. that respect, I know, but, uh, like, oh,
0: he's clearly a Christian. <laughs> he's one yeah. of us.
2: But, but no, the, the service was starting to wrap up. It wasn't done quite yet, but I just stood up and uh, walked down the aisle and uh, tried to not make eye contact with anybody. Hmm. and i reached the back door of the church to exit i opened it and i literally had one foot out the door when there's a big blast of chills that came in my stomach and went up to my chest and grabbed me by the throat and i was frozen on the doorstep and uh, i heard myself thinking this is ridiculous i have to figure this out and so that kind of completely stopped me in my track turned around I uh, closed the door behind me and I walked straight back to the head pastor and I introduced myself. So, you believe in God, huh? <laughs> and he said, well, yeah. <laughs> I said, well, how does that work out? Uh, he said, well, I'd be happy to talk to you about it uh, if you want to make an appointment we can discuss. Um, he said, oh, all right, fine. Uh, when When can you discuss that? I said, well, you know, maybe Monday night uh, come to see me at my office. That'd be fine. And I said, oh, okay. And um, uh, years years later, uh, he told me he actually didn't believe that he would ever see me again. <laughs> wow. <laughs> uh, but uh, wow. I, I said, "Yeah, fine. I'll see you Monday. And, uh, and off I went. And um, on that uh, next Monday, I actually showed up and I told him, look, uh, here's the deal. I, I'm an atheist. Uh, my life is just fine. Uh, I've met this woman. I think that it's crazy that she believes Christianity is true. Uh, was led to your church. Like, what's the deal with that? Like, what do you believe? What do you do? What are you all about? And um, he started to uh, gently and uh, intelligently explain to me what his uh, Christian beliefs were. And uh, we had a fascinating conversation. And I got to ask questions. And He was providing good answers. So he wasn't, I wouldn't say that he was engaging in uh, necessarily uh, uh, argumentative apologetic in the sense that uh, he wasn't necessarily arguing, offering various arguments in favor of the Christian beliefs, but he was giving me coherent answers within his own worldview, Mm. which was already impressive enough. Um, And he was a guy who was clearly uh, intelligent. Uh, He was not uh, uh, matching any of the stereotypes that I had come to envision Christians to uh, exemplify. He wasn't trying to compensate some sort of an emotional imbalance uh, by being a a Christian or a minister. He was just uh, educated, uh, smart, uh, well-spoken, and uh, he believed that God exists and that Jesus was raised from the dead. And uh, I couldn't fathom how you could make it work. And so we had this very long conversation. I even forgot to eat. Uh, (laughs) Really? Yeah. And we just talked throughout the night, and uh, I got back home. I had tons of questions. And... uh, uh, that started a, a series of uh, of uh, various meetings that uh, he and I uh, well we ha- we ended up meeting uh, for the next several months uh, like that regularly uh, where I would come with a pile of questions uh, and he uh, he we discussed some important things uh, uh, how does this work with uh, science and uh, what are good reasons you know can we talk about uh, the supernatural and miracles and uh, uh, what's the message of the Bible, what is this mm-hmm. all about, and, and a number of, of uh, important questions on, on Christianity. And uh, he gave me a, a nice little uh, booklet that he had uh, written about the basics of the Christian faith, uh, which was a very intelligently um, put. He had basically asked a lot of questions, and then he just wrote a couple of um, uh, scripture references for, you t- for the reader to go and figure out the answer to those questions. So that was a very nice int- interactive way of getting the basics of the faith. And so I took this and I came back uh, at my house and I figured, all right, I'm going to do this uh, very well. So I just jumped into it and got my Bible and I went and got the answers. And so I would write the answers, but then a million questions would come in my mind at the same time. And so I wrote question after question and uh, this thing turned into already dozens of pages of just handwritten questions and and notes everywhere that I would then bring to the next time we would get Mm. together and I would impale some questions. And obviously, we'd never get to the end of all my questions, but it was a very, very interactive exchange uh, of conversations like that with him.
0: What were some of the the sticking points the major things that you were like, man, I don't know if I can get over this hurdle with Christianity?
2: Yeah, so so there's a number of things. Uh, the, the first, uh, based on his booklet, there was something that I did not understand at all. Uh, and obviously, looking back, it's kind of the basics of the Christian faith. But it's fascinating to me that I just did not understand this. Uh, it's one question that uh, I still have my handwritten notes at home. uh, It's written in French and I looked at them uh, uh, not too long ago. Um, There's one question that comes back almost every other page and it's why did Jesus have to die? Hmm. I just did not understand. What is the connection between Jesus dying 2,000 years ago and me if I were to become a Christian? Like what is the connection between my life as a Christian if I were to become one and Jesus dying on the cross? I just did not get the connection and uh, the answer would soon come um but that was a sticking point for me um and there's a number of uh, of just uh, intellectual questions that uh, i needed to tackle and wrestle with uh, on on um in, in appreciating the truth of christianity um one was uh, the belief in supernatural and miracles uh, i didn't really i mean i didn't think it was really uh, possible for a smart person to believe uh, in the supernatural and uh, in the end, it was quite helpful to have this guy who clearly wasn't uh, out of his mind, who was not, uh, not not intellectually subpar, and he was just uh, having a reasonable belief that the universe was created by a God who is not part of uh, nature, right? So that uh, th- there is more to the universe, th- there's more to the world than just the natural world and the laws of physics, um, and, and, you know, there's a number of philosophers who are not, um, theists who do believe that there's more to life than just the natural world as well. So, um, sm- smart people could affirm that. And it was not necessarily an intellectual suicide to think that miracles are possible. And obviously, if God exists, uh, a, a number of, um, miracles can be quite, uh, expected. Mm. Um, so there was, uh, uh it was helpful that he also was able to tell me a couple of his own personal stories or mm-hmm. encounters of things that he thought was were quite miraculous. And I thought, okay, this is anecdotal evidence. It's interesting to hear. It's, it's kind of an uh, uh, exceptional story. I'm not sure that I can really take that to the bank, um, but uh, the the biggest miracle of all would be obviously the resurrection of Jesus. Uh, and I figured that also was gonna be something is there a good reason to uh, believe that this happened? Right. Uh, and if there is, then that's, that would be a bona fide miracle. So we, we had a, a few um, back and forth like this on the supernatural and miracles. That, that's definitely one topic. Uh, another one was a science. For me, it was very important that uh, uh, as uh, as as I contemplated Christian belief, that it would not be in conflict with what I took to be science. Right, sure. I had a very very strong scientific understanding of knowledge. So to me, uh, if, if something is true that and we know it, it's got to be from science. Um, so I wanted to make sure that affirming God's existence wasn't going against science. And upon a bit of reflection, I realized there's actually very little in the scientific knowledge I had that even could possibly be in conflict with the existence of God. Um, much of the physics and engineering that I had studied wasn't quite relevant to God's existence. Perhaps the only two candidates that would be in the neighborhood of God's existence would have been the Big Bang theory and um, the theory of evolution. And uh, both of those would need to be worked out. Okay, How do they fit into the the Christian view of uh, the world and of uh, the creation of life? But uh, through this thinking, I came to realize basically my scientific knowledge is not an impediment to believing that God exists. Oh, we Uh, could do a whole, I want to get it. I want to get that. We got to make another podcast for that. (laughs) That is
0: fascinating. But so you're having these conversations very frequently with this pastor. You come in with your questions. He's answering. You come back with more questions. Can you describe how that relationship progressed and how those conversations progressed?
2: Yeah, uh, I don't i enjoyed my time with him very much uh he again was exemplary in the way that he just uh, non-threateningly accepted me and all of my struggles and even um even some of my obviously non-christian moral choices right Mm so i mean uh, we we came to discuss also about the christian view of sex right because that was a big issue for me uh, quite a a huge impediment uh, as a matter of fact I was seeing the Christian view of sex as really antiquated and uh, just just impossible. And uh, through him, so and he didn't condemn me as saying that somehow my uh, promiscuity was uh, was wrong. I mean, even though clearly. It's not like he, he pretended like uh, he approved of my uh, sure. choices. Right, uh, right. So he, he wasn't hypocritical like that, but he was just not condemning. Um, right. and, uh, and just we contrasted our, our views and he, he made it quite appealing. Um, at the time, I mean, I was uh, quite, um, uh, it was really wild in the way that I had handled my romantic life. I had clearly wounded a bunch of people, I had cheated every opportunity I had, um, I sensed that there was some really something really wrong about the way that I had behaved myself on, on those fronts. Um, and uh, to see this guy defend a more conservative view of sexuality as restricted between one man and, and one woman for marriage uh, unconditionally um, was definitely far to my right uh, in terms of uh, mm-hmm. ethics, but it started to be appealing a little bit. Uh, I mean, there's one piece where he um, he actually told me that they had decided with his wife to not even kiss before they got married and to uh, have their first kiss after the traditional uh, words, uh, you may kiss the bride. And uh, somehow, I mean, I thought that was insane to do, to, <laughs> do, to do that, but there was something beautiful about this, this idea that, that they, they waited, and then when they said, you, know, you may kiss the bride, now that's it, they, they could kiss. so there was a little bit of my, of disarming some of my offensive, uh, some of my um, um, yeah, uh, concerns, uh, and so some of the things that I thought were offensive. Uh, and uh, so that there was this uh, understanding of sex, and he welcomed me, but contrasted his views, uh, science, the supernatural, and uh, also n- uh, knowledge, I think, was one important piece in which I shifted my mind throughout those conversations. Um, it was important for me to know that uh, if, if I were going to become a Christian, I needed to do more than just believe or have faith that uh, all of that uh, happened, uh, that Jesus was raised from the dead, that God exists. Like, I really wanted to have an intellectually satisfied belief, uh, justified belief, that it wasn't crazy. And um, for me, in my pre-philosophical thinking about those matters, it seemed to me that I needed to have pretty much what amounts to certainty about those things before I could actually embrace them. Um, It's it's quite a naive belief uh, in the philosophy of knowledge now to think that knowledge requires certainty. I mean, virtually nobody believes that. Um, But that's kind of the uh, assumption that I took with me at the beginning, that uh, if if I'm going to be believing those things and be justified in believing them, I need to be absolutely certain. And through those conversations, there was really one big turning point when uh, it was through the conversations and through my private thinking about those things, I realized this is actually completely unrealistic. Uh, we We know tons of things in life that we don't have certainty for. Uh, and there's one very honorable way of knowing things, which is just testimony. Mm. Now, how do you know X? Because someone knew X and told me. Mm. You know? And realizing this was very freeing. I realized that there's plenty of things and not just trivial things, like really important things like uh, who am I? Who are my parents? What date was I born uh, at? Like, some, some really important stuff about me. I had zero proof, certainly less much uh, absolute certainty. And I just knew them, you know, and I did not more than just believe them. I knew them on the basis that someone we knew told me, somebody who was trustworthy, obviously, so it's, it's not like you can just take any testimony and now all of a sudden <laughs> right. you have knowledge, but you have testimony from someone who's trustworthy and that constitutes knowledge for you. And I, I really appreciated that parallel when I looked at now the four uh, Gospels telling me the story about Jesus, and I perceive them to be somewhat relevantly analogous to four friends telling me what they saw. Okay, here's this Jesus guy we've seen. He was he taught this. He did that. He raised from the dead. And now we're writing those things so that you may know them. Now, I mean, this is pretty much what Luke says and John says in so many words in the uh, in the Gospels. We are writing those things so that you can know and, you know, live your life accordingly, you not know, do what you need. Um, and so I, I appreciated that. And uh, it was definitely a turning point for me to appreciate that I could know those things are true and happened without having absolute certainty in a way that is completely unrealistic. It's
1: definitely freeing, like you mentioned before. Yeah. To feel like you don't have to shoulder this burden of like scrupulously like scrutinizing every single detail and fact before you come to you know believe it um and acknowledging there are other ways of knowing or other j- sources that are you know that can justify your belief um and testimony is, is one of those things and so even our, our world is not one that you know condones that kind of thinking necessarily all the time we're inca- like encouraged to go out and do our own research and um and so there is often like a devaluing of testimony but I think this is sort of a a nice, positive, optimistic view of right. You know, yeah, we should trust yes, testimony. yes,
2: yeah. and obviously um, uh, there are plenty of folks who criticize the uh, reliability of the scriptures, right? So the, uh, there's there's clearly debates uh, and and wonderfully so uh, about how reliable the the Bible is as a historical document telling us about the life of Jesus. But what's really helpful to appreciate is that. At the time, I came to uh, believe and I think I claim I came to know that those things were true on the basis of the testimony of uh, the New Testament. Uh, But it's not going to work to object that somehow I was not justified because I wasn't aware that people criticized the trustworthiness of scripture and I did not have answers to those. So it's not like at the time... I had read all of the uh, skeptics of the Bible, you know, the Jesus seminars (laughs) and the 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 Bartermans of this world telling me just how unreliable the Bible is and then was not prepared to respond to them. Now, I am today because that's what I enjoy doing is uh, doing apologetics. (laughs) But at the time, I did not have uh, responses to those objections. But you you need to put this in parallel with, um, let's say, my belief that the Holocaust happened. Um, How did I know that the Holocaust happened? Because I was told so by history books. Now, there are people who claim that the Holocaust never happened. And I did not have, nor do I today, actually, uh, knowledge of what the objections are there. I I actually haven't really looked into the Holocaust denial uh, movement, so I don't know what their objections are which means that obviously I don't know how to refute them. But just because there are objections doesn't mean that somehow I cannot be justified in believing that the source is trustworthy. Um, I just know that the Holocaust happened because I had that trustworthy source telling me and I trusted it. So similarly with the Bible, I did not need at the time to be aware of all the critical objections against its reliability and being able to refute them, Uh, I just, got the historical source. It is in fact trustworthy and I trusted it. And I think that constituted knowledge. So that was a very helpful uh, way of seeing the New Testament and the gospel accounts. Do you see accounts. how much
1: my eyes are glowing at the fact that we're doing this really interesting philosophy right now? Oh, man. I, I, so these
0: things are, you know, I assume you're reading the Bible, you're asking these questions, you're you're the the question of knowledge and you kind of shifting on like, okay, well, do I need to be able to answer every single, whatever objection? What was the, what was the tipping point for you? What, what I yes. guess this would be the part, you know, did you, did you go to a Christian concert and then it was just like, yeah, that was it. Did you argue uh, with an atheist? That, did you argue that is, with an that atheist? Is funny,
2: that is funny that you would um, put it like that. So the, the tipping point there. So I, as I said, I start to appreciate that this whole thing could really be true. And uh-huh. it's starting to freak me out. Um, I'm realizing that I don't really have a good account for why all of these people would be telling the story that they Mm -hmm. saw about Jesus. Um, And it's starting to really look like it's a trustworthy, like it really happened. And this is the Jesus, uh, the very special person of Jesus that I've read about. It could be really the real deal. Um, And I started to shift my unbelieving prayers a little bit. uh, And they started to sound a bit more like, okay, God, if really it's i'm starting to think this might be true but if that's the case it's such a radical shift in all of my life uh, i'm gonna need you to reveal yourself even more explicitly like i really need you to grab me like as a bedrock i can't just uh somehow convert and make a fool of myself if uh, it turns out it is not true so i started to to ask okay god like really show up and uh in my somewhat uh uh, optimistic view i had uh, expected uh, i wanted an open heaven with uh, a, a nice uh, light coming down from the sky uh, and uh, a voice from heaven saying uh, you know welcome son um, but uh, <laughs> what ended up happening was uh, much less theatrical and much more brutal what happened at the time is that uh, god reactivated my conscience and it wow. was it was painful Um, basically all throughout that time of that season of investigation of Christianity, I had come to commit some really immoral thing. Uh, I'll spare you the sordid detail, Mm -hmm. but it was just, just terrible. Even by my own standards of the time, uh, it was really messed up and I knew I had done it. I, I had lied all tons in order to cover for it and and, and hide it. Um, So I kind of suppressed it and kind of shoved it aside down inside. And, um, throughout this process of asking God, you know, reveal yourself to me, reveal yourself to me. I, I need to know. Um, th- this thing just exploded inside of me. I, I was, so I knew I had done it, but I kind of tried to forget. And then some, somehow just God took it and shoved it in my face. And that's all I could see all of a sudden. Like, this is what I've done. There's no coming back. I'm guilty. I can't bear with this thing. I'm a horrible person for what I've done. And I can't fix this. And in the midst of this deep pain, like I had literally physical pain out of the guilt, this is where the quarter dropped. Uh, and finally, I got the answer to that question that I had written all over those pages. That's why Jesus had to die. Wow. And so that'll the gospel, preach. <laughs> the, that'll the, gospel, preach. <laughs> the gospel clicked, and I realized holy cow, this is the deal. He died on the cross to pay the penalty for my sins, and now I get to be saved for free. Yes, and so I was all in. I said, all right, I, I believe this stuff. please take my life, uh, change it, and um, I'll follow you where where I need. and uh, I pre- I accepted the gospel. I understood it now that yes, this is that, you know he who knew no sin became seen on my behalf that I might become the righteousness of God. Hmm. And uh, that was liberating. There was uh, the entire like the weight of guilt just evaporated. And I truly lived a a spiritual renewal. This was new life. So um, I uh, soon after, uh, so I confessed. I had confessed to God. Now I needed to confess to her, uh, um, to my girlfriend, some of the stuff that I had done. Uh, And uh, I was uh, also trying to make this work with her. And. I figured now that God has brought me there and used all of that, uh, I mistakenly thought that this was God's plan for me to move to the US and uh, to marry her. And so I basically t- took the radical step. I uh, left my band behind, I quit my uh, volleyball team, quit my job, uh, and then found a job uh, in New York uh, to move and uh, and be there. And uh, as it turns out, um, we actually were Terrible for each other. Our relationship after I moved was absolutely horrible. And we broke up a few months after that. And so uh, there was the radical shift that had been done. Uh, I had moved and left everything behind. And I found myself kind of uh, alone in uh, New York uh, without much of a social commitment on anything and wondering what in the world just happened? Uh, this is, you know, God, I decide to follow you and this is what happens. <laughs> uh, and uh, yeah. It was uh, at this time that uh, I started to uh, correspond with uh, some of my friends uh, in France uh, who were still atheists and trying to tell them why uh, I had come to be a Christian and to tell them to try to give them some of the good reasons that I had uh, that had convinced me and that had pushed me to become a Christian um, and uh, they Um, They started pushing back. I got a lot of objections and I started to respond to those. And uh, I thought, hey, this is fun. Uh, We're debating ideas. And it seems like I have all sorts of good answers. And uh, it it really felt right. So it it seemed like a a natural inclination for me to want to engage intellectually and provide answers, um, which I didn't know was really apologetics. But this is what I did. So um, that's... um, I I started to study more also to be more prepared, to give better answers, to think more about those uh, big, deep questions about the truth of Christianity. And... um that uh to 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 study those things, I ended up spending all of my free time, so at the time I had my job, but all of my weekends and all of my evenings, I was free because I had no commitments right? I had no longer my friends around. I had no volleyball team, no music band, no girlfriend. So I just spent all of my evenings and all my weekends studying. I bought books, I uh, watched lectures. Uh, documentaries, uh, followed the footnotes from book to book and say, oh, this is a new guy. OK, I got to get into his material. And oh, look at this guy is debating. Oh, let's find another one. And so I, I just studied all the questions that were relevant to the truth of Christianity. I mean, well, basically the, the apologetics uh, material that are very developed in the U.S. today. And I did this uh, all of my uh, evenings and weekends. And after a few months of this crazy diet of uh, apologetic material, I figured, well, if I'm going to be studying that uh, with all of my time and all of my resources, I might as well get a degree out of it. And so I I applied for seminary uh, and then a few years later, I graduated with a, a, a master's in New Testament studies. Uh, and then I pursued this uh, with a PhD in uh, philosophical theology. So this is kind of how I worked myself through the back door of uh, Christian uh, studies and uh, scholarship. Um, but uh, I I didn't really plan any of this. Uh, it's just one step led to the other, and I ended up uh, being engaged in in this field now uh, as a more professional uh, capacity. Looking at your whole story, and I mean, it's you know,
0: it's it's this friendship of this pastor, you know. It's this relationship with this girl, and then it's you reading the Bible, and then it's you having questions, and it just, it's just all these simple little things. And, uh, you know, you, you work in, you know, you, you have a, an ordinary job, you know, you work with, I'm sure, non-Christians. And uh, I often think about when people are told, you know, we got to be on mission. You got to go reach out to your community. You got opportunities at work. You got opportunities here. You're neighbors. I think people feel stressed out because they're like, yeah, but like, I'm not an expert. I don't have, I don't know how to respond to all these things.
2: Uh, What would you
0: say to them? What would you say to people who are thinking like that?
2: Yeah. So I don't know that you need to be an expert uh, to engage in conversations. Uh, one, One piece that I found helpful is to. As you, you said, I work with a number of folks who, who are really not Christian. And, uh, not only that, but I mean, I live in New York City, which is quite secular in, in many respects. What? Um, <laughs> yes, haven't you heard? What? Uh, and, um, there, there's, uh, A number of folks simply just are in the same position that I used to be in before I met the pastor, which is that I had no idea what Christianity even taught. So I have found it helpful uh, with a number of uh, friends and and colleagues that I've met uh, where we go out for lunch and we start to talk about some of the big questions. I found it helpful to tell them, look, let me tell you actually what Christianity says. You know, like, well, mm. well let's hold off the objections or the questions about, uh, is this justified? Is this true? But let me tell you what the message is before you you, know, you assess whether you, there's good reasons to buy it. Um, mm. And, and uh, bracketing kind of the apologetic objection and simply say, let me tell you what that's about. And then explaining them, here is this amazing story that uh, we are guilty uh, we stand under our condemnation, but Christ loved us and died on the cross to pay for the penalty so that we would be saved not by our good works, not by our religious rituals, uh, not by being good Christians, but simply by placing our trust in Jesus, repenting of our sins and trusting in him, placing our faith in him. We're safe for free when we do that. Just sharing that radical message has been very helpful. and And one way that I know that now they get it, is that without fail, the very first thing out of their mouth is the very objection that Paul anticipates in the book of Romans. Well, if you're saved for free, then why not continue on (laughs) sinning so that grace may abound? And this is without fail the very first thing that comes out when they hear this message. And now I can tell them with a smile on my face, well, I'm glad you asked because that very question was asked in the Bible. (laughs) Here it is. Now, obviously, Paul answers that question. But at least I know that now they get it. They get Mm -hmm. the message is crazy. And this crazy message is actually something we can defend as true. So uh, to encourage people to have conversations with folks, even if they don't feel like they're masters, they can start with just a basic explanation of what Christianity mm. is, and then take one objection at a time. If they start to come after that, you know, if if people start to say, "Oh, okay, I'm hearing this story, but here is what I'm concerned about," then pick one after the other and take it one step at a time. Obviously, yeah. the, the conversion the conversion of the individual you're ministering to is not in your hands, mm-hmm. uh, you know. And this is the Holy Spirit who convicts the hearts. Um, but you know, you can take one objection at a time and actually faithfully discuss and engage and and even learn in the process, right? I mean, much mm. of the things that I've uh, cared to study myself were things that I was confronted by or that I just wondered about myself, and then it's a good opportunity to go and buy books. Mm. That's a,
0: I love that. It really is liberating because it's kind of like, what do you tell your coworker? It's Like. Well, tell them what Jesus has done for you. you tell them who yeah. Jesus is. You know that, right? You know, people know that. You don't have to be an expert. Just tell them
2: the good news. Yeah, and that good news is, is fun enough in itself, right? So, so um, some people have told me, oh, well, your conversion story is really dramatic, but uh, mine is not really exciting like that. So I can't really t- use my testimony like this. And I tell them, yeah, I mean, there's, there's a few fun things about my story. Great. Uh, but tell, the, tell, them about, tell them the story of Jesus dying on the cross for the sins of fallen sinners so that they may be safe for free. That story is crazy, too. And it's yeah. entertaining. Mm-hmm. So you just need to start your testimony a lot uh, earlier than mine. You know, go, go back 2,000 years, tell that story, and see what happens.
0: I, I am curious. You know, one of the things you said is that this pastor, he didn't judge you, even though you were committing these sins. And, and mm-hmm. he, didn't, he didn't say, oh, it's fine. Yeah, he clearly was opposed to it well what did that do for you that he didn't judge you for that or or, or, or you know maybe yeah condemn it, or it, criticize
2: it, you it was immensely attractive so that uh, i could take his beliefs seriously uh he was not out to shove them down my throat uh, mm-hmm. he was just trying to make them appealing and, and miraculously he did which frankly was not a done deal to make it appealing to uh, to sell the uh, abstinence before marriage to a, a young adult French atheist who's really uh, <laughs> <I> <laughs> for, for <laughs> had army. a great plan for your life. <laughs> mm-hmm, here, here's that. But, uh, but no, just just humbly describing the beauty of his own marriage relationship and uh, yeah. coming together like this. And, uh, and uh, I mean, it made it seem to make it special. And it was also at a time where my own uh, view of uh, sexual ethics was really causing lots of pain to people around me as well. So it's it just worked out too, in that sense.
0: So the really the beauty of their marriage, the the, the kindness, of, I mean, it's, it's not just showing that it's true. It's showing that Christianity is yeah. a beautiful thing. Like yeah, yeah that a lot, there
2: was like, a lot of appealing, yeah. Right, yeah. for an yeah.
0: atheist to say, man, I kind of wish I could believe yeah. that. Or yeah, I kind of yeah. wish that would be true. It's kind of like you get to be- Yeah, that's you, The person that says, yeah. Yeah. yeah, what if I told you it is? Yeah, <laughs> What if it is? Yeah.
2: And of course, as an apologist and a philosopher, I am, I'm deeply eager to jump into the arguments and the apologetic <laughs> defenses of the Christian faith. Uh, but and, and when you take the Bible, you can find a number of, of passages. I mean, the the uh, apologist uh, is going to be very happy to to find a few passages that say, yes, here he is. He's reasoning with them in the synagogues and he's giving arguments and that's mm-hmm. great. OK, and there's there's the passages that invite us to have be prepared to have reasons and all of that. Yes, that's in the Bible. But if you look at really the basic uh, movement of evangelism that uh, grew the early church, you don't find a whole lot of debating and argumentation in terms of apologetic ministry. You Mm -hmm. find mostly faithful preaching, this Mm -hmm. proclamation. Hey, Mm -hmm. guys, here's the deal. This is what happened. And here's what you should do as a result of that. Mm-hmm. You know, when you look at uh, the the Book of Acts, you know the big sermons of Peter preaching to all of the the crowds, and they was like, okay, they were convicted. It's like, well, then what must we do? All right, repent, believe, be baptized. Mm-hmm. Uh, that doesn't strike me as deeply apologetic, but there's a, a powerful, there's there, there's really a power in proclaiming the beautiful message of Christianity. And obviously, we should expect that uh, it's going to be really disgusting to the unregenerate and very appealing to those who are being saved. It, it is a, a dividing sword, right? Sure, uh, sure. But, but uh, if we're faithful to the message, I mean, I think there's, there's good reason to think that it's going to bear fruit like that. Mm. And in my case, I, it ended up feeling very beautiful and completely the answer to my own existential struggle mm. after I had come to appreciate that intellectually, it was actually a live option. And obviously, as a Calvinist theologian, I have to do my shameless plug for Reformed theology. But on a story like this, you'll forgive me me if if I think that this is really the working of God, that I wasn't looking for any of this, Mm -hmm. that I was not the prime candidate for a conversion, that my heart and my emotions were just as closed as most of my friends and family who to this day don't believe and um it's just uh, the difference is not that somehow as a better person it's just that god chose to uh, save me he just opened my heart pulled out and broke down all of my defenses and made me a christian so the end of the story i mean it's just so that we don't leave it hanging Uh, so i did break up with this woman that was clearly not made for me Uh, a few years later i did uh, end up uh, meeting a wonderful american woman uh, we also had a wonderful, really romantic uh, uh, um, meeting story, uh, uh, very providential. Um, and uh, we got married. And actually, um, this is a nice redemption of my storyline here, um, I didn't realize. I ended up uh, actually not kissing her as well until uh, we got married. So uh, oh, we, wow. I got I got to fulfill that uh, surprising Brian's story. See, it's getting dusty
0: <laughs> in here. <laughs> it's getting dusty <laughs> in here. What's going on? <laughs> oh
2: man! So, that's wonderful story. And when the pastor said you may kiss the bride, we had our first kiss and it was wonderful. And so uh, a few years down, a few years later, uh, we are now expecting our fifth child, and oh, it's uh, <laughs> due any day now. So uh, exciting!
0: Thank you for joining us. I mean, I, I yeah, think a
2: lot great. of people get a lot out of this. And hopefully,
0: you know, it just encourages people to, to think nobody's outside of God's power to change someone's yes. heart, to and, change and someone's I, life. I mean, uh, that's, yeah. that's, that's what he does. And I'm hoping uh, it's
2: a big takeaway for people indeed. that uh, hmm. If I was a very unlikely convert, then right. nobody is beyond the reach of God's grace. Hmm. Right, right. That'll Thank preach. you so much,
0: Guillaume. We're going to have pleasure. you again.
2: Thank, thanks for having me, Brian.
0: Pepper you with some other questions.
2: Happy <laughs> to. But uh,
0: if you guys uh, want to hear more of these conversations, we're going to be interviewing a bunch of different interesting people, and hopefully this is something helpful for you. What would be great if you could, guys could leave a review on Apple iTunes or Apple Podcasts? That helps get this out there and share this with your friends, especially if people if you got friends who are struggling. To believe. If you've got friends who are non-Christians who are interested or just wrestling with things, I think this would be a great thing for them to listen to. Something that they can process through and hopefully can lead to more conversations. And hopefully this encourages you in your efforts to share the gospel, the good news with other people as well. Thank you guys for tuning in.